This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Yeah, thank you for that. I am Kyle Colbertson. If you haven't met me, um, I've only been here three and a half weeks now. Um, but it is nice of y'all to take your masks off for me to get to see faces. So this is really helpful for me. Um, but yeah, we're going to be opening the Word together and being in Luke 9 again this week. Uh, we're going to be talking about the transfiguration story. Um, and as I started to look at it this week, I think the thing that kept popping in my head was just the Peter felt like he was taking a test. And so I remember back all the way in like high school times, we would have this like test taking time and our teachers would always give a little like format talk about a week or so ahead of time. And they'd be like, hey, here's what you have to study, sections one, two, three. Or if you had like the worst teacher in the world, they'd be like, everything I've ever said for the entirety of the year, that's what's on the test. Um, but they'd usually give like, hey, here's what the format of the test is going to look like. And in being high school Kyle, I just wanted to hear two words. So there's two words I craved hearing in high school for that, that thing. And it was multiple choice. Because multiple choice means I've got a chance. You see, I've got a 25% chance, worst case scenario. Best case, you can knock one or two off. And you're sitting at 50-50 odds. And high school Kyle liked those odds because multiple choice meant I'm not studying. So I'm going to just take my chances, hope for the best, and it'll go out all right. But you see that sometimes you didn't get multiple choice tests. And so the next thing you're hoping for is fill in the blank, right? Let's say like, it'd be like blank is the first president of the United States, George Washington. I can't tell you anything about George Washington, but I can regurgitate information. So fill in the blank feels great. And in the story that we've been reading in chapter 9, we see back in verse 20 that we talked about last week, it feels like Peter got one of those fill in the blank questions, right? Jesus is talking about who everyone thinks he is, prophet, Elijah, John the Baptist. And he turns to Peter and gives him his test. Well, who, who do you say I am, Peter? And Peter's like, the Christ. Boom. Good job, Peter. Fill in the blank, A+. Plus awesome. But we don't always get just fill-in-the-blank questions, and if you were like me, the one thing you hated more than anything in school was an essay question. Because an essay question means you've got to know your stuff. And oftentimes, as I said earlier, I didn't like to study, so I didn't know my stuff. And so essay questions for me basically meant, hey, I'm going to list all the facts I can about this subject, and then just fill up as much of the page with fluff and try to connect them and just hope the teacher doesn't notice. So just write, fill up all the space you give me with as little information as possible and just really hoping for partial credit. Um, and as we see in this story today that we're going to talk about in the Transfiguration, if Peter was doing an essay question, we'd realize he's taking the same strategy. He's just going to keep talking and talking and talking and really continuously prove that he doesn't really get what it means that Jesus is the Christ. And so that's going to be what we're trying to evaluate, looking at how Peter got tested, and then we're going to look at our own lives and see what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we're going to see that there's three things that it should mean, uh, whether we answer that correctly or not. The first of which being that if Jesus is the Christ, He alone is worthy of our worship. If He is the Christ, then we need to be submitting to His will. And that if He is the Christ, we need to be listening to His Word. And so those are the three things we're going to be looking at this morning as we dive into this story, um, but I'd like to invite you all to stand with me as we read God's Word together, coming from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. 
And here Luke writes, he says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he, that is Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So as we look at this, this section, there's something crazy going on. The transfiguration of Jesus is usually what this is titled. And it's, a, it's an event that's worthy of worship, I think is pretty obvious to be seen. So he talks here that the appearance of Jesus' face has changed and his clothes become dazzling white. And this is an account that's also corroborated in Matthew and Mark, two of the other synoptic gospels. Um, and Matthew says it this way. He said, he, and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Or Mark says, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And so they give a little bit of different wording, but we kind of see this reality that Jesus is being transfigured, is what the words would be. And it's, that's a weird word. It's not one that we use very often. Um, but the Greek word is metamorpho. And so I think it's helpful for us to realize that that's a word that we used for like biology when we talk about metamorphosis. So if you don't know what metamorphosis is, you don't remember, it's the transformation of a caterpillar, which is basically a worm with fuzz on it, uh, crawling on the ground, squirming around, in my opinion, a useless creature. Um, and then it becomes transformed in this cocoon through metamorphosis and becomes a beautiful butterfly, something that can fly, it has wings, it looks totally different than it did before. And so that's the word, and that's where we, we get this realization of what's happening to Jesus. You see, he's coming, and he's in the flesh. He's a person in front of them, but he's being transfigured, and we're seeing him showing the glory of God emanating from him. And so he's being transfigured, this crazy thing, so much so that his clothes are glowing, they're super white, they're dazzling white, however they want to say it. Um, but not just that, we see two figures show up, right? Moses and Elijah, which is... Crazy, because Moses is dead. Elijah's been gone, took, took up to heaven a long time ago. So these figureheads from the Old Testament show back up in this moment. And it, they're there talking with Jesus about his departure that's about to happen. Or that word is actually his exodus that he's about, he's about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And you see, the presence of these two figureheads is so important because it's the confirmation of all the Old Testament scriptures. You see, Moses wrote the law. Elijah is one of the figureheads of the prophets. And so we can know from this, this presence of these two men that it's all of the Old Testament, all of the scriptures at this time coming to prove and verify this is the Christ. This is the guy that we've been talking about. Um, and I think Tim Keller says it best when he says it this way. He says, the presence of Moses and Elijah and the voice of the cloud tell us that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament law and the prophets. 
Moses represents the law of God, and Elijah represents the prophets. All threads of previous salvation hopes converge on him. I love that part. All threads of previous salvation hopes converge on Jesus. So everything that they'd ever hoped for throughout all the Old Testament, all that the Jews had wanted, they wanted deliverance, they wanted salvation, all of these things that they've looked to, they've looked to the law, they've looked to the prophets, they've looked to these great people, the kings that God had put for them. But it's all coming together in this one person, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Christ. He is where the salvation is coming from. And so it's a, this moment of just like, hey, this is awesome. Like, this is the guy. We've been waiting for this for forever. This is salvation. It's a moment worthy of worship, right? And we're all sitting there thinking, like, if we were there, like, this would be incredible. But then we look at Peter's response, don't we? So when we see how Peter responds this moment, first of all, he's sleeping, which is not a great response. Um, and it's not the last time that the disciples will do this while praying. But you see, he, he finally wakes up, and his first, his first statements are that it's good that we're here. Let's build three tents. And it seems a bit odd at first to be this camping excursion that he's talking about, but when you realize that Peter, speaking from the, the viewpoint of a Jewish person, he's actually talking about celebrating the Festival of Tabernacles. And so this is a festival that we don't really celebrate anymore. Um, Jewish people still do a little bit, but it's something where you would build yourself a structure and live in it for seven days. And it's a way to look back and remember on the times that Jesus had delivered his people out of Egypt, delivered them in this exodus of the Old Testament. And it's a way to also look forward to the coming Messiah. And so it's a time of just this reflection. And while it kind of makes sense that Peter's saying this, he's kind of understanding that Jesus is this new prophet like Moses that's promised back in Deuteronomy that Moses told that is to come, right? He's, he's getting that point. He kind of understands that Jesus is the Christ. But what he's missing, and it's obvious from what he says, that he's missing that Jesus is so much better than Moses. You see, by him stating that we're going to build three tents, one for each of them, of equal structure, he's equating Jesus with Moses and Elijah. He's made them all on the same playing field. They're all worthy of worship in his eyes. And it just shows that he doesn't get it. See, he doesn't understand that Jesus is so much more worthy of worship than Moses or Elijah. You see, Moses is similar, and Jesus is the prophet like Moses, but he doesn't, doesn't hold a candle to who Jesus actually is as the Christ. You see, Moses, in the Old Testament reading we had this morning, has his own mountaintop experience with God, right? You see, Moses, when he comes down off his mountain, he brings the law. He brings all the law for Israel to fulfill, but it's a law that they can never accomplish. When Jesus comes off this mountain, he's going to give a new order. It's no longer just a law, but it's an order that Jesus has already fulfilled for us, in the place of us. He's accomplished what we could never accomplish. You see that Moses also has this great exodus event. He leads God's people out of Egypt, delivers them from captivity. It's amazing, but it doesn't last. You see, they're going to fall back into captivity. They're going to fall back under the Babylonians, later the Romans, they're going to continuously be under their own sin, the fear of death, and there's no real freedom there. But Jesus talks about his coming exodus at Jerusalem, and it's one that's going to be eternal. Finally, God's people are going to be freed from sin and death, never to be held captive again. It's so much better 
And then last, like we talked about this morning, when Moses would come down from seeing a glimpse of God's glory, he would be reflecting that in his face. His face would be shining. He needed a veil to not frighten the people because he's glowing with the glory of God as a mirror would glow reflecting a light source. But you see here, Jesus' transfiguration moment, he's so much brighter. He's so much more full of glow. And that's because Jesus isn't reflecting God's glory, but he's the light source itself. You see, Jesus is emanating that light. He's emanating that glory because he contains the full glory of God, because Jesus is God. That's what it means that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He is our Savior. And so he's so much more worthy of worship. And so it's easy to look at Peter and say, like, you missed it. What are you doing? Why would you worship all three of these individuals the same? But don't we do the same if we really think about it? Don't we compartmentalize our own worship? We want to give God just a tent of our lives, and we want to keep a tent for other things. Like, when we come in here to worship, it's great. And we get to sit here and confess our sin together and and to just honor God above all things, right? We're willing to come in here and say, God, you're the only one. You're the greatest. We love you and you alone. But then what happens when we leave? What happens when we go home to another tent? Are we worshiping God or are we worshiping our family, our spouse, our kids, ourselves? What do we really want to worship? Or how about when we go to work? Are we worshiping God and Jesus alone as Christ or are we worshiping that next paycheck? Are we worshiping that status, the promotion that's coming? Are we worshiping how good we are at what we do? I think it's so easy, and I do it myself, it's so easy to find all these other things to worship and to try to put God in his little tent. God, I'll give you this much. But you see, we can't put Jesus in a tent. If Jesus is the Christ, we can't push him to the side or only give him part of our lives, because if we truly believe those words, Jesus is the Christ of God. That means he's the Savior. He's redeemed us, he created us, and he sustains us. You see, Jesus gave us all of himself on a cross, and he is rightly due all of our worship. So Peter missed it. To really be the Christ of God, Jesus is worth all of our worship. But you see, that's not the only thing that he missed there. Because he's not just worth all our worship, he's also worthy of our submission. We need to be submitting to Jesus' will. And Peter proves that he's not ready to do that. Because what else we realize is that Peter's response is a grasp at more time. He doesn't want this moment to end. You see, verse 33, he speaks up as the men were parting from him, is when he says these things. He's like, hey, they're leaving. I got to do something. I want to stay here hey, let's celebrate the the festival of tabernacles. That'll give me seven more days on this mountain. That'll give me seven more days in the presence of God's glory. That's what Peter wants. He wants more time. He doesn't want to come off this mountain. And I think if we remember last week, we know why. Jesus has already told him what's coming. Jesus has already told the disciples, when we go down there, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. And if you want to follow me, You've got to pick up your cross every single day. When Peter leaves this experience, he's going to suffer, and he knows that. And so he doesn't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Nobody wants to suffer. We'd rather spend the time just basking in God's glory, wouldn't we? And I think we all do that. It's because we're unwilling to realize that God's plans are better for us. 
And I think thinking this through, I've been guilty of this so often, but I think last year of my life is something where I really shows how feeble-minded I am in God's presence, how much I don't want to submit to His will, how much I think my plans are better than His. You see, rewinding to about summer of 2020, uh, my wife Morgan and I were pregnant with our daughter, and we were set to move to Costa Rica. See, we were going to go down there, work with a missionary that's doing work with some soccer ministry mixed in with church planting, um, and it was something we were really excited about. And we were ready to go and pretty much ready to move. In my mind, bags are packed, right? Um, but summer of 2020 is also infamous for something else. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard, but there's something called COVID. And it kind of shut down some countries, including Costa Rica. So we couldn't go. And as it, the months went on, it became more and more prevalent and obvious that we weren't going to make, make it down there. Like this door was being fully shut by the Lord. And so we started exploring, well, we've got a baby coming in the fall, and we need a job. So we started looking places around the United States with churches, and God continued to shut doors, shut doors, shut doors, and he finally opened one in Columbus, Ohio, working in a church in the suburbs. Um, and a little bit about me, I am from Columbus, Ohio. I am from the suburbs of Columbus. Um, but anyone that grew up with me or that knows me well enough knows it's the last place in the world that I ever wanted to be. Um, you see, when I graduated high school, my first thought, I told my dad, I'm going to go to school at New Mexico University, University of New Mexico. I want to go as far away as possible. And when that didn't work out, I ended up at Ohio State graduating from there. I was like, you know what? I'm leaving from here and I'm going to go play soccer overseas because I don't want to be in the United States. I want to be as far away from home. I want new adventure. And so for me, being somewhere where I can go get a bagel at a place down the street and run into a kid I went to high school with is my nightmare. <laughs> it was not fun. And to top it all off, we were working at a church where it became really obvious really quickly that we had a lot of theological differences. We did not see eye to eye on some of the things that scripture talks about, and it caused a lot of friction. It caused a lot of tension. Work was hard. It caused some frustration at home. And I think there was time and time again where I just kept coming back to God and being like, what are you doing? It just doesn't make any sense. Like, we were set to go to Costa Rica. This was going to be good. God, your plan isn't right. If you would have just let that happen, things would have been so much better. Like, you're all knowing and everything, but you missed it this time. And just frustrated with God and just pouring myself out to him time and time again. But you see, God's plans are perfect. And when we're able to see from his perspective, we know that he's doing something better. Uh, fast forward to... Uh, October 23rd, 2021, uh, just shy of our daughter's one-year birthday, uh, my mom died. And so we were back there in Columbus with her. She ended up in the hospital pretty unexpectedly at the beginning of October, and we got to be there with her. Um, a lot of my family wasn't able to go in. They were all sick. Um, and so I was the one that got to go in and hold her hand, pray with her. I was the last person to be with her before she's intubated. And so it's something where I got to be there in this hospital down the street from where we lived. My parents lived about 40 minutes away. The hospital was about five. And my mom got taken there unexpectedly. And so I got this time to be there in this moment. And what's even more, I get to look back on this experience and say, hey, the Lord took my mom, but I got a year. I got a full 12 months almost of my mom getting to be with her first ever granddaughter. 
I got a whole year of seeing my grandbaby get to know her grandma, or my baby get to know her grandma. I don't have a grandbaby. Um, but it's just the blessings and the graciousness of God. When I look back on it now, it's easy to be like, God, your plans were so much better. You knew what you were doing, and I didn't. And I'm so thankful for that experience. Even though it was frustrating, all the frustration melts away when you see it in God's perspective. But you see, Peter didn't see God's perspective either. Peter's grasping at this moment. He wants seven more days, God. Just let me have seven more days. And God's telling him, no, Peter, I'm not going to give you seven more days because I've got something better. If you are willing to come off this mountain, let this experience end, you're not just going to get seven days, but you're going to get an eternity with me. Because Jesus needs to come down off that mountain and go on that cross. If we're willing to come down off this mountain and follow God's plan, submit to his will, we get an eternity with him. Not just seven days, but not just that, Peter, not just you, James, and John are going to get to see my glory, but all of my people are going to be able to come to me. God's plan is so much bigger and better than Peter could ever have imagined, but he's not willing to submit to it. And we don't do it either. I don't do it either. And we may not see it. I think, well, I'd like to say if you're in a season, a season of suffering, next year you're going to see some relief. You're going to see why it is. But we're not guaranteed that. We're not guaranteed five years from now we're going to know why it is. We're not guaranteed that at the end of life we're going to know why it is. But the beauty is that we can cling to those promises and know that God is worth it. That one day, as believers in Christ united with him, we're going to get to experience God's glory, and we're going to get to join the Apostle Paul when he says that the present sufferings are nothing in comparison with the future glory that is to come. And so we may not see it, but we cling to Jesus in the same way that he was willing to come before the Father and say, hey, I don't want this right now. Take this cup from me. But if you don't want to, not my will, but yours be done. Because if Jesus is the Christ, he is God, and he's worthy of submitting to his will. And so I think it's at this moment where we're, we're realizing Peter's response is nowhere near what he said earlier, that Jesus is the Christ. He's proving that he doesn't know what's going on. He's, he's three pages deep in an essay question without an answer that makes any sense. And for those of us that have been there in that three pages deep, we are thankful that God cuts him off because he probably would have kept going. You see, in verse 34, we see that as Peter's still saying these things, God steps in and cuts him off. The father comes in a cloud of glory and scares him essentially into silence. See, because God knows that he missed it. And so God steps in and he says, he says what? In verse 35, a voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. He's saying, this is the son of God. This is my son. Echoing Jesus' baptism earlier, the Father's confirming this is the Son of God. Not just that, this is the chosen one. Echoing the Old Testament, talking about the king that is to come in the line of David. Jesus is the eternal king that's going to rule. He's the Son of God, the king. We're confirming that he is the Christ. God himself confirms this is Christ. And so what does that mean? Well, if he is the Christ, then you need to listen to him. If we believe that Jesus is the Christ, we listen to him. But you see, Peter wasn't willing to do that. We see this passage and we see Peter's too busy talking to listen to Jesus, right? This is one of the few times where you see 
Peter speak out and Jesus never responds. And I think part of it's because Peter never gave him the chance. Peter doesn't stop talking until God comes in the cloud. He's too busy with his own voice. And I think if we think about it, we are too busy with our own lives for God a lot, aren't we? We're filling it up with all these all these distractions, all these times that we've got to have our calendars full. We've got to be running from place to place, and we skip over time with God. We skip over time to listen to Him. I think in my own life, there's so many mornings I've got my alarm set. I'm going to get up and spend some time with God, and then it goes off, and you're like, hey, I haven't had to wake up yet with my toddler. 30 minutes sounds pretty great to sleep a little bit longer, doesn't it? It's like, oof. And the amount of times I fail, because sleep is a very precious thing to me right now. But I'm just showing that I don't listen to God. I'm not willing to listen to him because other things are more important. And I think it's easy for us to look at this time of Peter and be like, well, I'm not as bad as Peter though, right? Like I would listen to Jesus if he was right there in front of me. I would listen to God if he came and spoke to me in a cloud. Like I'm not, I'm not that ignorant, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And we're like, Peter, you were so much more blessed. You got to sit there, talk to Jesus, hear from God. How could you not listen to him? But you see, Peter would actually flip it on us. You see, Peter would tell us that we're actually the ones that are blessed. We have the better option of hearing from God. See, Peter writes later to the church in his letters. He says, 2 Peter 1, 18 and 19, he tells us, he says, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about this transfiguration moment. He's talking about when they got to sit here and hear God's voice, right? And he goes on in verse 19, he says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Did you catch that? You have the prophetic word, the scriptures, the Bible. It's more fully confirmed than Peter's experience on that mountain. Peter's telling us that this right here is more confirmed. It's better for us to hear from this than it is to hear from God on a mountaintop. Scripture is all we need, is what we're told. Scripture is sufficient for our lives. It can speak into every area. You see, it's better that we have this. When we sit and we meditate on the Scriptures, it's good for us. That's how we listen to God. You see, because we don't need to be like Peter. We don't need to sit in front of a transfigured Jesus. Instead, we need to meditate on God's word so that its word can tra- transform our lives, transform our hearts. We're the ones in need of a transfiguration. You see, but Peter didn't get it. That's how we need to acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, by listening to his word. But we look back on this test and these moments that Peter has, and we look back on our own lives, I think it's, it's easy to see that if this was a test for us today, we fail. We fail, Peter failed, we're all failing, right? We fail to worship God alone, we fail to submit to his will, and we fail to listen to his word. We're sitting at 0 for 3, a 0% on a test with no partial credit, which isn't great. But the beauty is there's good news, there's the gospel And the gospel tells us that when we fail to worship him alone, Jesus forgives us. That when we fail to submit to his will, we know that Jesus already submitted to the will of the Father on the cross for us. And when we fail to listen and obey his word, 
we have the acknowledgement that Jesus makes intercession for us. So that when the Father looks down and he sees our 0%, instead of just looking at that, he sees Jesus has covered that. Jesus gives us his 100%. Jesus steps in and took that test for us. And that's what our just God sees. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. Jesus took the test so that we might pass. And when we turn to Jesus as Christ, as our Savior, as the Son of God and our test taker, the best part is that we know that one day we get that transfiguration. It's no longer Jesus showing off the glory, but it's us becoming glorified like him. That's the best part. You see, that word metamorpho, transfiguration, is used two more times in the New Testament, both by Paul. And one of the best parts is it's in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 18. And we'll close with this. See, Paul writes here, he says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, are being transfigured into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. You see, we need only turn to the Lord, receive His Spirit, and one day we'll be transformed. One day we'll be transfigured into a glorified body. And we get to be with Jesus in eternity in heaven. That's what we cling to. That's what it means when we sit here and profess, like Peter did, that Jesus is the Christ of God. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we are afforded the opportunity to open your word, um, that we are able to study your scriptures openly and together as a body. We thank you that while we continuously fail, while we continuously don't understand what it is to acknowledge you as Christ, that you continue to grow us, that Jesus, you have stepped in and become our savior, and that we are able to just know you, to cling to you, and to recognize that you've brought us back to you that it's all about what you've done, it's nothing about what we've done, and that's what we get to boast in, that God, you are greater. You have saved us, you redeem us, and I pray that we would all know that today, that if we've turned to you, that we would just continue to cling to your promises, and that if you're just making yourself known to us for the first time, that we would be able to acknowledge you, to hear your word written in your scriptures. Lord, we praise you today, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.